Welcome to another episode of the Table Topics Podcast. I'm so excited to be bringing you uh, a very fun episode. Uh, we're going to be talking about Blades in the Dark. Before I get too far into it, my name is Caleb. Joining me, as always, are Christian and Santiago. And yeah, so let's just dive right into it. No crazy preamble on this one. Uh, we went ahead and tested out, had a one shot, uh, for Blades in the Dark. A really cool system, pretty unique. Um, it's the first time I ever experienced it, but I think all of you have played it before, right? Mm -hmm. A couple times. Yeah. For me specifically, the one time I played it is specifically the three of us. It was a one shot that was meant to have four people and two people backed out. And Santi was like, ah, I'll run it with two people anyway. And so it was me and Chris against the odds. Ain't that right? And the odds were never in my favor. (laughs) It was very humorous. Um, But this time, Chris was the, the game master. And hopefully the odds weren't in his favor this time either. <laughs> yeah. Well, they weren't in yours either. Uh, the game I, master doesn't roll dice in this. Yeah. So, so yeah, let's let's get into so, it a little bit nice. about uh, what the what the game is. I mean, what's what's the setting? You know. So the setting is uh, very reminiscent of something like uh, Duskfall or Duskwall from Dishonored. Um, this Dishonored. Dishonored. Yeah. yeah. I will say the setting it. It gives me very strong Dishonored vibes. Like, yeah. if that was a tabletop role-playing game, it'd be blazing though. Yeah. It, it's a uh, 18th century, like, British Victorian, kind of, mm-hmm. in terms of, like, the the, the, the trappings and, attitudes, and the yeah. attitudes and the people. Very kind of, like, gutter, um, like, streets of, like, London, but, like, not necessarily high class like, yeah. in, in the most of the setting. It gives me kind of, like magical steampunk vibes like not steampunk but like it's if you close. replace you know the steam with magic right yeah, yeah. It, it's it's adjacent yeah, yeah for yeah. sure um, uh, like electric steampunk yeah yeah like, sure uh, it, that doesn't quite that sound doesn't make it, sound, it sounds so. very funny when you put it like that but <laughs> i think it's uh it's really funny because whenever I, I i said that i hadn't played it before and anybody i asked about it it was like, oh, have you have you played Dishonored? And I said, no. And they're like, okay, this is going to be a little harder to <laughs> yeah. really relate it to anything. So um, I guess the best you can okay, come up so with in the I'm, moment I'm gonna, was I'm gonna, electric I'm going to change what I was saying before. <laughs> I apologize. Electric steampunk doesn't make sense. I would define it as something closer to like like Tesla punk. There's a lot of electricity. Yeah, sure. There's these electrical barriers that surround the main city of the setting. Uh, and there's also magic involved. And another big part is there's like spirits and ghosts which are a, a yeah. and big devils. aspect yeah. very devils demons mm-hmm. occult magic mm-hmm. ghosts there are character abilities that specifically re- reference punching ghosts yeah it's, mm-hmm. uh, a big part of the setting where it's that 50/50 of dishonored but also demons and magic and yeah fun stuff it's not like a typical D&D you know uh, high fantasy with your like you know, rangers and your all that fun stuff. There's no, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no, there's no traditional yeah. like good guy player party of adventures yeah. meeting in a tavern to dungeon delve. Yeah, uh, the main characters are a gang of criminals. Yeah, you play as a gang of criminals, right? Mm-hmm. You have a, like a little enterprise. It just starts with you guys and. And, and the yes. players make the gang. They pick what kind of gang they want to make, and uh, they kind of work within that framework. You could be uh, assassins for hire, you can be thieves, you can be smugglers, you can be... Uh, there's one option that's a... You could be a cult. Uh, and the picking stuff and the way that you do it is honestly why I think this game is very fit for one-shots and for, like, quick uh, setups... Uh, for story, uh, because the way it's done traditionally is you have each uh, each type of gang, each style has a sheet, and it's like you know you have this sheet, you make a few choices on this sheet, and that is your starting gang. Yeah, so because you have like your own character sheet for your own characters, yeah. but your gang also has its own sort of character sheet, yeah. right? And the character sheets for the characters is the same thing. Like you, mm-hmm. you look at it, and you look at the you know there's 
different classes. Let's I'm skipping ahead, but let's say you're like, I want to play a leech. You you know, you put in a name, you make a few choices, that's it, character sheet done. Yeah. So it's like uh you can like pick it up and make a character sheet in like yeah. you know, a minute or less. I think the character, like your own character creation is yeah. real quick mm-hmm. where it's kind of a little different than other games is yeah. You kind of all together decide what your kind of group is. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, all of your characters are meeting in the world somehow. Mm-hmm. It's more, oh, what do we want to be, right? Yeah. And you, you're kind of session zero or start of your session, if you're doing a one shot, is mm-hmm. all together kind of yeah. coming up with mm-hmm. what you're and, and that group cohesion is an important part of the thing because yeah. the setting itself and, and the system is kind of built around the characters over time accruing what is known as stress and trauma, and they can end up dying or retiring. And even if your character dies or retires, the gang that you made, the crew, Mm. kind of lives on. It's implied in the rules that... You know, you make a new character and they join the gang that you've already established. Yeah, the characters are very disposable in this game, which mm-hmm. really helps with the fact that it's so easy to make them. Uh, you're not playing heroes, you're playing guys doing dangerous, stupid things. Yeah. And will probably get killed doing it. Yeah, you're all kind of playing as the gang, like members of the gang rather than mm-hmm. your own characters too, too much. You know, it's. More of a focus on that. Um, what, just sk- skipping ahead a little bit, because um, I'm just curious, right out the gate, what would you say uh, Blades in the Dark is a good, like, what, what kind of stories can you really tell with this? Like, what is it good for if you really want to explore a specific, you know, type of game? What would it be? If you want to be a villain, if you, you know, if, if you want to do bad things for maybe the right reasons or maybe the wrong reasons... But, you know, there there is no, like we're talking about crew, there is no yeah. hero crew. Yeah. Like, maybe the least evil you can be is a smuggler, you right, know? Right, yeah. Well, you might be muscle for hire, you might be an assassin, and, you know, evil is... It, it's more of like subjective. a dark Yeah, uh, it, it, it yeah, is kind of a, a dark setting. So. Yeah, I'm going to steal Santi's answer. Mm-hmm. It's very, uh, it's really good for the Ocean's Eleven yes. type vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew that was your answer. Because uh, <laughs> I couldn't think of anything else. Uh, but, but it's okay any, to agree. Yeah. yeah. Anything where you want to have, like, a, a group of individuals all against, like, one big, large goal and, you know, working together to, to solve that, and then there's downtime, mm-hmm. and then you come back for the next big thing, the next mission. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very mission-based. It's very... Here's the goal, here's the thing, you get paid, and then you move on. Yeah. Right? I think, like, my answer for that would be, I think, just thinking about it a little bit, is if you want to play a campaign where you don't want the focus too much to be on the characters and more like uh, organization, which starts as your gang, and then, you know, depending on how you take it, obviously you can do it in different ways, but it can become like a whole empire by the end if you're doing a long campaign. Yeah. I, I am... A little bit, um, a little bit curious about you. You said it's it's good for one shots, and I don't know. I think I like, disagree with that. I, I, yeah, I also disagree. I also with that. kind of do disagree. Not I haven't experienced it too too much, but from what I've seen mm-hmm. in terms of the mechanics, it feels like a campaign that was a little bit harder to do as one shot and would benefit from like. A longer, more drawn out, or typical campaign. Even. I think I think the the character creation mechanics mm-hmm. are definitely more like suitable for one shots because it's so easy to make a character. Yeah, definitely. But in terms of the campaign wide mechanics, the the crew mechanics, yeah, the, the setting and its involvement, the way that you can gain or lose favor with different groups in the city that are built into the rules, yeah, kind of make it less suited for uh, one shots. Right. There's a whole prison in the main setting city that you can get sent to if you get caught and it's its own setting with own missions there's a whole different like set of skills trees yeah, and, and you start like rping in the in the prison. In prison which is that's that's fun yeah yeah sorry ns defend your point yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I, I get what you all, uh, all are saying and i'm not saying it's 
designed for one shot. But right. if I compare it to like D and D, or let's not compare it to D and D. Let's say someone has only played D and D and is like, I want to try playing another tabletop RPG just a little bit, just to see what other things are mm-hmm. out there. I feel like this is an easy one to just pick up, play a little bit, and eat, like whether or not you continue, right. you can get like one mission is honestly enough to get a whole story, like enough to like you know taste get a something, taste, exactly. get a taste yeah. of something else, and like yeah. you uh, you're like yeah, you won't see the whole like crew adma- advancement and the campaign mechanics yeah. uh, in the game. But, like, you can make a crew real quick, make some characters real quick, play a mission, maybe two, take, get a taste of something different. No, and I, so, yeah, I see where you're coming from. It, I, it is beginner-friendly. Yes. I, I agree. Apart from, like, Dungeons & Dragons, yeah. this is probably one of my first ones that I recommend to, like, new players and new GMs, because it is pretty simple. Yeah, and I, I agree. I agree with that, that point uh, that you made, Dennis. Uh, like... Just from our one shot, we did get to experience like, you know, a decent bit of it. Um, obviously not like the bigger crew mechanics, but like, yeah, I would say, yeah, it's a good like way to kind of sample it out and you can do it in a relatively satisfying one shot. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot more bigger mechanics that like probably make the game more what the game is. Richer, you know? I would it, yeah. That. And I, I think like experiencing more about what like the actual like core of the game is. I mean, you're still experiencing, you know, we'll get into the mechanics a little bit more, but, like, the action roles, the fortune roles, but I think, like, those downtime roles and those relationships evolving the is... The consequences, which we didn't yeah, see too, the too much of. Yeah. Like, the consequence roles, that would have, that's another big part. One of those consequences yeah. is, is, like, you know, um, the police get a lead on you, and your mm-hmm. crew might be in danger. Do you throw them under the bridge? Do you throw an ally under the bridge, yeah. so to speak? And I think, uh, do you, you know... Prison? Under yeah. the bridge. There's no buses in the setting. Yeah. <laughs> no buses in the setting. Got it. <laughs> Throw them under the Because they're a troll, obviously. <laughs> um, I, I do want to make a quick note before mm-hmm. we talk about mechanics uh, sure. about the setting. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've been comparing it to, like, Dishonored and the Deathfall setting and describing it. There yeah. are several aspects of it that make it very, very unique and also kind of difficult to wrap your head around on first read. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is that there are, and, and these are like innocuous, but like th- when you start thinking about the ramifications for your characters, the setting, like what you see, how you describe things, mm-hmm. they kind of matter a lot. Uh, one of the big ones is there is no sun. There is no light in the sky. It mm-hmm. is always night. There are no stars in the sky. H- how, how do you describe or like how do you how do you begin to kind of like describe the situations of like there's no daytime there's no like morning yeah there's just time people are awake and time people aren't awake mm-hmm. and that's kind of like difficult to wrap around if you're trying to stay within the setting of the mm-hmm. system i mean you as a gm you can kind of like hand wave a lot of things yeah. but when you're a player trying to get into the mentality of the character or trying to get into the story these are things that are it's a very foreign world yeah it's very foreign yeah. um i had forgotten about that for the one shot hmm. so not super important yeah. but but it is good for setting like tone and vibe for the yeah. game mm-hmm. um, especially in a longer yeah, setting exactly. or session or campaign sorry uh, yeah. another big one is if you fall into the water, one, the water is pitch black, there's no sun, but it's also literally pitch black. If you fall into the water in the setting, you have like a 90% mortality rate. People Unless you don't, can swim, you're pretty fucked. Even if you can swim, people yeah. get dragged down and people there don't thing. know why. There's yeah. monsters. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. we didn't we didn't really get into the We didn't get into it. Like, like that, These but... are like, like I said, innocuous yeah. kind of like outside questions, but mm-hmm. it, they're ones that... I when I made a character when I, when I ran it before yeah. have to think about yeah. like what does this mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, people eat mushrooms all the time. Like that's the primary food that's grown is mushrooms. There are no horses. Things are uh, drawn by goats and 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 stuff. There are horses, but they're like small. They're very small. Mm-hmm. And most things are drawn by goats. It's a goat drawn carriage, not a horse drawn carriage. Mm-hmm. As as examples of setting details that are just you know. Different enough that it can be kind of difficult to wrap your head around mm. on first read. I have one question, if that's all right. Um, I'm curious, is are, is the typical session based in, like, the city? 
yes. proper. And like most most of the time, it's going to be within this city, right? It, it very rarely it's outside of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. I, I'm, now that you mention it, though, I'm just thinking of like it's not anywhere in the book, but it would be interesting to see like a pirate crew mm-hmm. campaign. Yeah, especially with like all the crazy like water stuff. I think it would be that... a dark like horror style campaign. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that'd be fun to explore. It, it's not anywhere in the book. So yeah, no you would have to home pirate. You'd have to home Pistols that's... in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't have to homebrew anything mechanically. You'd just have to home. No, the setting. Definitely. The what's out? What's out on sea? I mean, you'd have to. I would. I would argue you'd have to homebrew the the actual crew because there's no. Is, unless, is there any no, mechanics for like smuggling boats and stuff crew like that? done? But our or, smugglers or really. What's we're getting. The, yeah. What's the thieves one? Thieves. thieves. Is it thieves? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know if it's actually that. <laughs> I think it might be. I'm not sure. Uh, if it I, is, I believe that's hilarious. there's an option for the thieves to be shadows. Like, maybe yeah, they they have it, it they have different shadows. names than just what they are. Like I, a, a I, hunter. In, is under one of hunter. the sheets, you could be like an extortionist, and that's <laughs> basically a pirate. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. So yeah, I wanted to get that setting yeah. part out there. The the actual setting of Blades in the Dark is different enough that there are certain ramifications you have to take into account or if you are playing a longer term campaign yeah mechanics wise cool cool cool. yeah um before we get into mechanics sorry i just want to talk about more of a zoomed out view of like what the what the whole game is kind of about you know it's instead of like a normal character progression going through a world like you know D D or Shadowrun or whatever it's very much a story-based game, right? It's mm-hmm. everything s- seems a little more zoomed out in terms of like when you're in an encounter, you're not just thinking, "Okay, what's my next move?" You're thinking about the entire scene environment, a lot of the time. Yeah. yeah, the environment, you know, where you guys are in it, and everything that you might be. Uh, affecting or might be affecting you, right? Yeah, there's there's a lot of consequence around the reputation of the crew and, you know, how your actions are offending different groups or mm-hmm. how some groups might view or uh, agree with the actions that you're taking. Who do you want to side with? Who do you want to really not get on the bad side of? Uh, a lot of things to take into consideration whenever you're mm-hmm. uh, out and about and screwing up people's day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> who can you make mad and get away with, and who will protect you? Yeah, and and also just when you're going through the game and resolving things, mm-hmm. right? It's, from what I understand, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's more of a collaborative storytelling experience even more so than other games where it's a lot of, it's not just like the GM putting forth everything and it's like you just react to things. It's like you're all coming up with what happens and like the consequences of something and you're all putting forward stuff and, you know, there's specific mechanics that allow the GM to affect or influence in that more like kind of GM God way. But Yeah, like if we go back to, I mean, for you, avid listeners, I'm sure you remember uh, way back when we talked about dichotomies in uh, role-playing games. Mm -hmm. I feel like this one is uh, on the opposite end than a lot of the traditional games that people are used to, so it's more narrative than it is uh, crunchy, and it is more uh, like the GM has less control. What was that dichotomy called? But yeah, the GM has less control (laughs) than... uh, than a typical uh, tabletop RPG that you might be used to. Uh, like, the GM is almost a-, a collaborator to the same level that players are. Mm-hmm. Uh, the players have a lot of control to affect, like, what's in the world and stuff. And even, like, you know, retroactively just add things and mm-hmm. change things. And, you know, th- there are some mechanics for that, but then also it's because of that, the players have a lot of control about what's around them, and how the story's progressing, and uh, what the consequences will be for their actions. Yes. That's, so. that's actually one of the core selling points and one of the core mechanics of Blades in the Dark that kind of made it what it is, is uh, the flashback mm-hmm. mechanic, mm-hmm. Uh, which is what Ennis alluded to, uh, where basically... You can, you can decide to accrue stress or through other means 
basically suggests that something had already been talked about, planned for, or done to affect the current scene that's happening. Uh, this is uh, going back to like that Ocean's Eleven kind of feel of being like, oh, the guard's coming upon his route. And it's like, we're flashing back to, we already knew he was going to come yeah, at the We had planned, we had, we had planned for, for this. Yeah. We, have, we, we bribed him already or, yeah. or something yeah. like that. We, we've already planted a, a whatever, a trap. Yeah, you know, we've already dug a, p- a pitfall and he's going to fall through. Yeah, in the casino. <laughs> in the <laughs> casino. Yeah, it took a lot. And we had to bribe a lot of people, but we did it. This was actually a real big flashback. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the bigger the flashback, you can do those crazy things, but yeah. the bigger it is, the more stress you're going to have to take. Um, yeah. So it's very cool. Uh, and as a GM, you are a lot more reactive than in other games. Mm-hmm. Because in, in some games that I've found... It's a lot more your job to be, like, narrator and storyteller. But in Blades of the Dark, you are the reactive world to the chaos that the players are instilling upon it. Yeah, like, they're they're trying to narrate the story, and then you're just trying to figure out, okay, how is this going to affect other things? Yeah, yeah how's everything falling in place yeah. based on what they're doing and what mm-hmm. they're narrating? Yeah, it's like, you're doing that? Okay, here are the consequences of it. Here's who's mad about it. Here's the new problems that arise. Yeah. Uh, and there's one thing about that kind of, like, uh, flipped dichotomy of players being proactive, changing things, and the GM being reactive mm-hmm. and react and, and being the world reacting to the player's actions, that I've experienced people kind of uh, struggle with when first encountering Blades in the Dark, uh, which is how combat is handled in Blades Mm -hmm. in the Dark. You don't necessarily roll to... Or or rather, the enemy doesn't roll to attack you. Uh, There is no roles that the enemies go is like I'm going to the, he's going to swing his hammer at you rather like than we were saying earlier there the GM rolls no dice exactly yeah. uh, all the consequences of combat and all the consequences of every other role are dependent on the player's actions and the player's roles uh, re- whether that's the circumstances of what's happening how difficult the fight is etc mm-hmm. and so it it's becomes a situation where it's like, do you think you could take on that big buff bodyguard where wielding a sledgehammer? Well, maybe, but you kind of have to like think about what the consequences are. Maybe, maybe because of your size and you don't have armor on and you fighting with your fists, it's a very risky combat. Yeah. And that's, that's a term in the, in yeah. the game. mechanics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll get into the mechanics a little bit more about mm-hmm. that sort of stuff, but Basically, with a lot of these roles, especially, like, the action roles, there's, like, specific ways of how hard something is, how much it has an impact, and, you know, the rewards you get from this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But, but, I mean, let's just go through the mechanics well, real quick. I just wanted to say one more thing. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> that, that's why I was like... But, yeah. Uh, we actually, fuck you, we, we actually never hate the mechanics. mechanics. No, 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 no. no. It's, it's, it's just a kind of final yeah. point on this. Uh, it feels... M- like, especially, you know, it's a storytelling sort of game and less so of a character progression game, you know? Mm-hmm. And so going into that, like, mindset when you're going into the game, like, yeah, we're here to tell a fun story together and we're narrating the story rather than just reacting to it. It's, I think that's a cool sort of... I, I agree. And actually, this leads into mechanics. Exactly. Because, because one of the one of the very neat ways I think that the, the game handles character progression is every time that you fail a... I believe it was a risky yeah. uh, role, uh, failure gives you experience. Failure is ha- the primary means... I think it's any time you attempt. It's, it's attempt. any attempt? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, attempting risky roles, but that includes failure, gives you experience. Yeah, like, you know. Regardless of success or failure, attempting the the difficult, the challenging things gives you experience. As long as it's, that it's only, isn't there another conditional or is it any risky role? Uh, I, I think it's a risky you, role that meets like certain conditions for your character, right? No, no, I don't think so. I thought every archetype had different. Conditions. No, no, those 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 go towards experience for the archetype. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's other ways to get experience, but I I'm pretty sure it's any time you 
try a like risky, difficult action, you get rewarded for it. So in the long run, you min-maxers out there, your Always characters are going to get buff if you do dumb shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's a gift for the GM to be able to say, like, you will get experience for doing this dumb thing that I want you to try. Yeah, it incentivizes more creativity and, like, mm. more, more, I guess, chaos. more interesting yeah. and cha- chaotic uh, storytelling. Because otherwise... You could never do anything risky, and it's just like, wow, you guys are so good at your jobs. And if that's what you want to tell, that's fine. To be fair, also another like mm-hmm. underlying premise of the game is that your characters are professional criminals. They know what they're doing, yeah. and when they do fail, it's not because they weren't good enough at their job. It's because the circumstances around what they were doing prevented them from doing it. Yeah. So... Uh, the the kind of like pitfalls of describing failure where it's like, oh, you slip because you didn't notice this and it falls out of your hand. That shouldn't happen based on the rules of Blades in the Dark. Your failure strictly because of circumstances outside of your control. And that's where all the players, like, each can put in whatever they want in terms of like, oh, this is what happens. Or like, yeah, maybe this and... Maybe it's also this other yeah. thing. Maybe <laughs> it slipped out of your hand because, you know, it got grease on it for uh, from something that, that we were doing. And mm-hmm. so that, that was yeah. outside of your control. Exactly. And uh, it happened to get grease on it. But it, it, I feel like we say that, but also, like, a failure to some degree is more common uh, in Blades in the Dark, I feel, than other systems. So Blades in the Dark, uh, it uses a D6. The most you're going to use is four, six-sided dice. Mechanically, if, when you're Attempting to do something, you roll a number of six-sided dice depending on your skill in that trait. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some rules that are slightly different, like resistance rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the number of dice you're rolling, and you're taking the highest roll. So if you're rolling one dice, that's the one dice you roll. Whatever you get on that roll, that's your result. Uh, a one, two, or three is a failure. A four or five is a success, but with consequences. And a six is a, is a success with no consequences. And so, most of the time, you're facing consequences. That's a one through five. There are consequences for your choices and for your actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's like a risky role, the consequences are larger versus if it's uh, what controlled. Like if it's a controlled yeah. role, you know, the risk is minimal. And yeah. the GM will tell you before you make a role. Uh, these are for this, these are action rules. So before you do an action, uh, roll for an action, he'll be like. Alright, this, from what you've described, what you're trying to do, you know, this is like controlled, uh, it's difficult, uh, you know, uh, what, what does difficult do? Uh, it's, it's, I think it's not, I think it's limited, standard, or, um. Oh, yes, yes. Or, what's the good one? I can't Uh, remember it. But basically, it is the level of effect that this will have. Uh, it'll either be limited, standard, or uh, like advanced, increased, yeah. uh, and the level of consequences is risky, uh, standard, or controlled, uh, depending on your handle of the situation. So uh, the best case scenario for uh, for uh, for getting the results you want is increased effect with a controlled risk. Yeah, but in most situations, I feel like it's. High risk for increased effects, a risky with increased yeah. effect, or controlled with a reduced effect. And this is yeah. this is for action rolls yeah. uh, specifically, right? And this is whenever you're rolling, it's only, you're only rolling when you're encountering something challenging, right? If it's just <laughs> mundane, then you don't roll for it. But if it is like an actual challenge, like it, regardless of what it is, you, your character can be proficient in that which means it's more controlled and then if it's something super impactful then yeah it's going to be that increase effect effect. increase effect exactly and as the gm if there if you cannot think of the consequences for failing a thing don't make them roll it's great (laughs) yeah because characters are supposed to be competent so let them just do things and that that's the thing sorry the the gm decides like when, when whenever they're like the players are narrating a scene that they want to be doing something in, that's when the GM comes in and is like, okay, that is a bit of a challenge. I'm going to set the difficulty and the effect and all that stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and then the players decide if they want to kind of yeah go on with that. Yeah, that's an excellent point because 
the players are in most cases they're the ones narrating the scene and what's happening and mm-hmm. when you know going back to what we're saying with GM being reactive when they're narrating something that the GM is like this should be challenging or this is like not guaranteed to succeed that's when they're like the GM is like all right you're rolling for this mm-hmm. or you're rolling to have this happen as you you know uh, uh, in the way that you're hoping uh, narratively yeah another neat mechanic like there's some minor stuff like if you don't have any dice like if you have no points in a in a certain skill or trait you roll two dice and take the worst result of the two mm-hmm. and then there's also modifiers to dice uh mm-hmm. so uh when you're you know before you roll you know let's say you're like okay i do want to roll this um there are a few options you can get to get bonus dice and there are a few things that can happen that might take away dice yeah. Uh, so uh, if uh, the takeaway dice uh, might also give dice, it's like, is there something narrative uh, or a consequences that you're that you the player is not aware of that adds or removes a die? Mm-hmm. And so that's for the GM to tell you you're gonna roll uh, one less die, you're gonna roll one more die. The allies can give you an extra die, so any of the other players can assist you uh, and describe how they're assisting you and take one point of stress. To give you an extra die. Mm-hmm. You yourself can take two points of stress to give yourself an extra die. Or instead of taking the two points of stress, you can ask for a bargain from a the GM. Bargain. Devil's bargain. Yeah. <laughs> the devil's bargain is literally that. The GM will offer you a consequence, a consequence that is guaranteed to happen, success or failure. Uh, and in exchange, you get the plus one dice without having to uh, spend two stress. Mm-hmm. And you can, and, and the entire table is encouraged to kind of like suggest devil's bargains. Yeah, uh, the GM doesn't have to pick them; he can he can pick their own. But yeah. it's kind of like an open, like what would be an interesting consequence that would give them an edge. Yeah, it's ultimately a handshake agreement between the GM and the player. But anybody can come up with fun consequences for your hopefully improved chances of success. The problem is, if you make a devil's bargain and you can't roll well, (laughs) oh boy. (laughs) It's also, and you can also always uh, decline the devil's bargain if you don't want it. Yeah, the GM can offer you, be like, all right, so, or, you know, a player might uh, say something and he's like, I like that bargain. You know, for that consequence, I will give you an extra dice and you can be like, no, that's not worth it. That yeah. particular consequence, not worth it to me. I think at some point, Goat Free's life, life was offered as a consequence for something, and Santi turned it down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for context, in our one shot, we had a carriage, because we were smugglers, that was pulled by two goats, and one of them was called Goat Tilda, and the other one was called Goat Freed, because it was Siegfried and uh, Brumhilda. And we're cool like that. Yeah, we're, we are really cool. Gotilda was very replaceable, but Gottfried refused to die. Yeah, he, he was. He and is wonk. now immortal. He had a <laughs> wonky now eye. Now an immortal yeah. demon. devil demon goat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a wild. Done <laughs> <And>, that. <laughs> they did good. They. <laughs> yeah. No. No. It's a good thing. Completely <laughs> circumvented the story. Yeah. <laughs> Put a demon and a goat. Yeah, we ended up putting a demon in a goat. that An immortal goat, it seemed, beforehand, but it was definitely immortal after that. <laughs> also psychopathic, murderous. They yeah. killed a lot of people. Yeah. But we saved that one kid. <laughs> we did so save that one heroes. kid. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. saved the city. So back when we... Uh, we saved one kid. <laughs> yeah, when we said it's a darker style campaign, you know, that's... Yeah, that's... Uh, that tracks. That's pretty part of the course. I, I think every time I have played Blades in the Dark, it ended up going very silly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just a consequence of it's such a dark like setting and tone. And so players naturally are like, let's let's bring levity in with the characters. Mm-hmm. A so that bit, yeah, so that everything's not just like We're dark super and bummed out by yeah. the end of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it is the tone always ends up being sillier than I expected to with mm-hmm. Blades in the Dark. I mean, we are silly people. Uh, to be fair, the two times that 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 you played, mm-hmm. one of us was smugglers, and the other one was um, shadows. Shadows. So they weren't the what I would describe as a traditionally darker 
crews, which would have been uh, the assassins or the uh, cult. The, cult. Um, the hawkers could have also been a pretty dark one. Hawkers are uh, peddlers of goods, what, whatever they happen to be, uh, which by the setting standards could be very dark, like people or drugs or animals. Weapons. Weapons. Yeah. Our session was full of drugs and our board shot was not any less humorous. Anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we thought about the actual consequences of, <laughs> of our actions. Maybe, so, but yeah. Uh, we approached it in a light way. <laughs> the cure-all uh, that we have introduced to candy and confectionaries throughout the city. The cure-all opium. <laughs> the wonder drug. The wonder um, drug. Yeah, it's like the setting did not get any less like dark or gritty for your existence as no. silly people within it uh because like the characters themselves didn't find themselves silly in world yeah. it's not like you were all like yes we're big clowns yeah. um but like out of game it was so silly yeah it's like <laughs> a cavalcade of just like events that happened that just happened to be like looking out you know from a top-down view, you're like, this is just, this is so ridiculous. To get us back... That was very fun. To get us back on the mechanics talk, uh, I was just thinking uh, about, like, the abilities and how they work, and I remembered one mechanic that I actually think is very cool in Blades in the Dark. Mm -hmm. In Blades in the Dark, you don't, uh, when you're starting out a job, uh, you don't pick out the equipment that you're going into the job with. You pick out a, like, a weight load. A loadout, yeah. uh, It's not a full loadout, it's just you pick, are you going... A level of load. Yeah, a level of load, yes. Are you going lightly equipped, normal equipped, or heavily equipped? Yeah. Uh, And you get a certain number of points for each of those. Mm -hmm. And every unit of, every equipment has, like, a certain number of points that it costs. And so when you need that equipment, you could be like, I'm using this many points for my loadout, that I have this. Yeah. It's, I've always had this prepared, but you just don't have to pick what it is until the moment where you need it. Yeah. yeah. It's similar to the flashback in that it's a way to get the narrative moving a lot faster mm-hmm. and like be able to just drop people in the action. Uh, because instead of planning in, you know, pastime and be like, okay, so we're going to have to be on top of this building and then rappel down. So we're going to need the rappel gear. We're going to need, yeah, all that stuff. Instead, it's like, okay, whatever this plan that our characters clearly know, but we don't and are Mm -hmm. making up on the spot, uh, has led us to the top of this building. But it's a good thing that we went equipped enough that we can all just rappel down with yeah, this gear. Because we, we plan for that. We, yeah, plan yeah, for we can all use one point uh, exactly. or two points. And, and, co- repelling. and yeah. the entire game mechanic system of Blades in the Dark is built around that philosophy mm-hmm. of getting the narrative moving, getting it moving faster mm-hmm. from the way you start jobs, which is basically deciding like one aspect, depending on the kind of crew you are, and the GM throwing you into the middle of the of the mission, wherever that happens to be based on your entry role, mm-hmm. all the way to another mechanic of the system, which is the clocks, mm-hmm. where it's like the players should be able to or can see kind of like these progress clocks that let them know at a glance the progress of the mission, mm-hmm. what's going on. They might not know all the details about the what the clocks mean, but the clocks are labeled generally with something mm-hmm. like guards yeah. or alert or, you know, stuff relevant to the mission. Yeah, the clocks are like progress bars, just a way to abstract any sort of either progress, either like say you're crossing a river and you're halfway through, the clock will be halfway filled. Say you're kind of in a fight against a bunch of enemies and, you know, there's like a quarter left. That's like, you can kind of abstract Order of the that. enemies or, you exactly. know, the Instead of are... tracking health and stuff. Yeah, it's... I, it's I like it cool for that. that. Uh, yeah. In our one shot, it was at one point we were capturing but, uh, bunnies, like murderous rabbits that started attacking us and mm-hmm. we had a clock for the rabbits and that's how many of them were actively attacking us. Yeah. And once that clock was filled... You know, that part of the mission was complete. Yeah, there was no more rabbits attacking us. That's no longer a a, a thing we have to deal with narratively. Yeah. That mm-hmm. that is over, and so we can move on to the next thing. See, I personally despise clocks. As a GM, as a player, I have seen it done well a couple of times, but I hate it being a central mechanic for like 
resolving things in the narrative because there are so many problems that I despise when clocks are applied to them, especially anything where there's like one solution. Like, oh, here is a locked door. And it's like, we have one person that can deal with that. He's going to pick the lock. And it's like, every time, what are you doing? I pick the lock. Okay, you make this much progress. I'm g- I'm gonna keep picking the lock well, and like. Well, I think that's yeah. that's a that's a weird way. I don't think yeah. that's being applied correctly. Uh, I uh, yeah. The, I just find there clocks. are a lot of pitfalls with clocks that can make mm. running the game slow down. A lot. I think yeah. I think I kind of yeah. agree when clocks aren't used right. Mm-hmm. I think that yeah, because I think in that sort of circumstance, it's you can use that for like time. Like if your character can pick a lock and they know how to pick a lock, then I don't think that requires something like a mm-hmm. clock. But if it's, like, your character's figuring it out, then there might be, like, a timer for, like, you know, you being able to do this before guards are alerted yeah. sort of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, uh, or rather than time, I uh, I would do something completely different. I wouldn't put put picking a lock as, uh, as a clock. I'd put progress towards your destination. Like, let's say you're going in to steal a treasure, progress towards the treasure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And picking a lock will progress you towards yeah. the treasure. Uh, tricking a guard will progress you towards the treasure. And that's, I feel like, part of the intention to abstract it. Yeah, you yeah. need to keep them a lot higher level mm-hmm. than is naturally intuitive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is which can be said about a lot of the pitfalls of Blades in the Dark. Yeah. A lot of things you have to think in a non-conventional tabletop role-playing game sense Definitely. to be able to it's apply different. it from mm-hmm. the combat to the challenges that you present, to the way that you as a GM interact with your players, the way you as a player interact with your GM and the environment, it is different than a lot of the games that we have talked about on the podcast before, which is what I would consider traditional. There's Mm -hmm. players, they roll dice, they do things, the GM presents challenges. This one, it's a lot more story-based, more narrative. It's, It's more fluid, and because of that, it's a lot more abstracted there's mm-hmm. a lot of things that you kind of have to yeah think outside of the box for. and that's why i kind of like the clocks because there you don't have to have mechanics for everything mm-hmm. you can abstract it with something like a clock mm-hmm. instead of having to have like very you know niche mechanics for everything right i, I just realized we didn't maybe didn't describe it clearly clearly enough for you the audience a clock is you. It's kind of like a pie chart. It's you know you're gonna draw a circle. You're gonna split it into a, cer- a number of segments depending on what you think is a- yeah. appropriate, and you're gonna fill it in or uh, or you know take out filling, unfill it. Yeah, sorry, a clock not as in like an actual like timer yeah. clock as yeah. we know them. It's yeah, like a progress bar, but think a progress circular. bar circular. Yeah, split into segments of however yeah. the GM wants to do that. Yeah, there are a million ways to use them yeah. and. I, they're such a headache for me. <laughs> I'm on the other side of the spectrum. I really like the clocks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think even if you don't use them for the way they're used in Blades in the Dark, in the Blades in Blades the Dark, they have to be, you have to abstract them a little bit, but it's like provides enough clarity for the players without like, giving them, like, forcing them in a direction. Like, so, when you're, like, breaking into this treasure, if the clock is pick a lock, they're like, well, we have to pick a lock. Mm-hmm. But if the clock is, and you pre- present an abstract clock of, like, your progress towards uh, the treasure, or mm-hmm. just, you know, maybe just call it the treasure's name, and that way it's, they're free to do whatever they want to progress themselves towards yeah. that, mm-hmm. uh, and you just fill in whatever's appropriate of the clock. Like, yeah. you know, and so when we're talking about those roles, about being a lo- low uh, standard or increase effect, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, reduced standard or increase effect, uh, in this situation, it, it's very clear without, you know, boxing them in, mm-hmm. the increased effect is you're progressing more of the clock, you're progressing more towards your treasure yeah. or uh, what have you. And I, I like it because it's a good way for the characters or the PCs to know mm-hmm. You know the progress towards something and get like an intuitive sense of how well they're doing because mm-hmm. I think that sometimes might be a little bit harder for players to understand while they're in the setting like yeah. uh, like how well are we doing yeah. you know mm-hmm. I also like them if all the mechanics in place in the dark it is this is a mechanic that I would consider 
in other games. Yeah, and you take steal it from here and use yeah, it in and, other. and use it yeah. in other games and other systems. I feel like there are two things it's very useful for. The first one is what Caleb touched on, is giving a, a player an idea of how far they've gotten, how good they're, they're doing, and how much more there is. Uh, because when you look at progress clock and it's like about two thirds full, you know, it's like, okay, we're starting to get, uh, to the end of this. Uh, mm-hmm. versus if you look at it and it's only a quarter full, you're like, oh, we're barely in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I also like it for increasing the tension. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to use it more, but I honestly, I just forget to use it more in Shadowrun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've used them a few times and I feel like with the nature of the players I have, like, Sometimes I'll just, you know, I'll draw the clock, I'll put a label for it, and it's like, what does this mean? What do you mean, yeah. alertness? What do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> Who's alerted? Yeah, yeah. Who's yeah. alerted? Because I like it because it's, yeah, the two sides of the clocks are, it's like, in character, yeah, my character would understand a little bit more, so yeah. this progress clock is like, yeah, we, we know that there's, we, we're good at this, and we know how much there is left, but then there's also the other side, which is like, for more the players rather than like the character yeah. stuff and it's like what's going on <laughs> what's it, with these clocks it, it also does help the like pass fail uh thing that happens with a lot of tabletops where it's like okay here you're going to do the thing you get one roll of d20 and that's going to determine your entirety of success or failure in, yes. yeah, in what's happening definitely um so it, it, it really does help in that way where it's not like, okay, well, your entire bartering with this uh, caravan is distilled down to one yeah, roll. Based on that one roll, it's yeah. not like, yeah, not a real sort of interaction where it's like a mm-hmm. give and take in a big yeah. process. In Shadowrun, I like it for, like, spe- especially for, like, when you're trying to sneak somewhere and for the alertness of who you're uh, facing. It's not like failing one stealth roll is what... You're all caught. Yeah. It's like, uh, I'll usually do like the difference between the, per- like, it's like, let's say someone beats your stealth roll with a perception mm-hmm. test. The difference is I'll progress like uh, how alerted they are. And once the bar is full, they're, they're aware. Oh, you're here. Yeah. And now it's a thing you have to deal with. Yeah. And now it's like a problem Another you have to deal with. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, you know, it's, it, it gives that buildup of tension. And, you know, as this, mm-hmm. the circle starts filling up, you know, you're more like, Okay, we we gotta like start being more careful with this. Or sometimes it's also like if it's a beneficial circle, uh, you had that one fight with with waves. Mm-hmm. If it's like okay, we're at the last wave, we can go all in now. We're at we're 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 sprinting towards the finish. Yeah, mm-hmm. let's just put it all out there and get everything done. And you can be a real evil GM and like have something after that as well. Yes, don't do it often, but sometimes yeah, yeah, you yeah, can exactly. you could really get players. I yeah. mean like the whole point is to get an emotional reaction out of people. Yeah. And, and it, really it, it is an abs- abstraction of your character's feeling about mm-hmm. the thing. So if yeah. you're like, this is the last wave and like that's what your characters really think. Yeah. And putting that on a clock you can screw with your players. Yeah, it's yeah. very mean. I don't recommend it. Unless you're mean, then do it. Yeah. Uh, oh, all I can think of now is like, you don't even have to lie. You could be like, all right, final wave's over. Now it's boss time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Now there's just a, a singular boss, not a, no more waves. Yeah. In, in the book... Just it, a circle. It goes, into, <laughs> it goes into detail about what kinds of clocks and what different kinds of clocks there are Mm -hmm. and it makes mention of having clocks that tie into other clocks having Mm -hmm. clocks that that once they're finished they unlock a different clock having clocks where it's uh you don't want it to finish one way or the other necessarily because you want to maintain a balance so there'll be like you want it to be half full for whatever reason. Yeah, if there's, like, a gang war that you really don't want either side to gain, like, full control of the territory... Yeah. You, you can tip the scales it. in yeah. a different way. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you want to keep it pretty 50-50. Yeah. Um, I think re- relationships is also yes. a great one, where it's like, hey, if you're doing things they like, it'll slowly go up, and you can, like, advance it for every yeah. time you fill the clock. And same thing, if you do things they don't like, it slowly ticks down. Yeah, I just think of it as a progress bar. Yeah. Sort yeah. of. Like, it, I, I like that sort of representation a little bit more than the segmented clock, but I do understand mechanically mm-hmm. why it's, like, like the, that. Yeah. Honestly, the, I, I understand the uh, progress bar. Just the segmented clock is easier to draw and for people, for oh, players yeah. to see and, like, judge. Like, 
I, I, how full it is. You could segment a progress bar. Yes, you yeah. you could, but it's easier to draw. Just like Definitely. circle. Definitely. It's like I want four pieces, just two. I lines just think it's circle. easier for people to like relate to a progress bar than like a like you know pie chart clock that. I don't know. I just feel like you don't don't really deal with that, but you deal with like progress bars. But that's just a person. Uh, I'll be honest. The, what Santi was saying about like oh a clock that feeds into another clock and clocks that are related, and that's the thing that I hate about clocks. <laughs> the the like idea of oh I can use clocks for, for everything. everything, and then you're like okay I have eighteen clocks <laughs> on my giant marker board. I'm the clock master. <laughs> Okay, they've done this thing. This marks off one of one clock, and it, like that just drives me insane. If yeah. you have more than four clocks out, I'm gonna like, be honest with you. No, I am. It's I'm, not I'm, my vibe. I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm really, really glad that you don't see the behind the scenes of the Lancer campaign. It's all clocks. It's all the way down. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not all clocks, but there are clocks. Like if it's for you as a GM to keep track of things. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. If you're showing your players 20 clocks, oh, yeah, I no. will kill you. At, at that point, why do you have... At most, players should have maybe three clocks. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Okay, we're, we're done talking about clocks. We're done <laughs> with clocks. Unless, final points on clocks. Well, Anything? I mean, like, we wanted to turn this into a clock podcast. <laughs> yeah. oh, <my> okay. <laughs> so, the digital watch. <laughs> so, by movement watches. Uh, next episode, clocks. Yeah. Clocks. Uh, I want a quick mention one last uh, thing. Is it about mechanics? clocks? No, for okay, mechanics. I, I did want to mention something after, so go ahead. About clocks? No, not about clocks. Okay. Uh, for mechanics, uh, I also like how each, we said there are cl- different classes uh, for player characters. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there's a, the leech. There's like a, a typical like animal handler. There's like a yeah. uh, like a more magic kind of character. There's like a thief. There's like a thug. Uh, like muscle. Yeah, we can't remember all the names of yeah, them right they, now. They but. have interesting names. There's like a poison type of character so you start you have points in like whatever the skills of the game are uh and you have a certain uh like your character will lean more towards certain skills based on their class but then the other thing a class gives you is like you get to pick one of their abilities and the abilities are interesting because i feel like the abilities rarely are not really mechanical things like they're sometimes mechanical things Mm -hmm. but i feel like for the most part they're more narrative then mechanical, like they'll have mechanical effects, but mm-hmm. it's like more narratively driven. Like you know, yeah. like a ca- there's like the thief character being able to phase into the ghost realm. Yeah. Like yes, you can use that mechanically, but that's like more of, uh, like a narrative tool mm-hmm. for being yeah. able to do something. And usually or has like a story. Yeah. Usually it has that stat. Uh, like like oh, you also get plus one stress as well. Yeah. Uh, like the yeah. costs. Yeah. yeah, or okay. something like that. Like, I. Honestly, I relate it a lot to Spire in, like, some of those abilities mm-hmm. as well. And even, the, like, the way you roll. I, I think very yeah, much like very that. Similar. But well, the it's, thing is- it's less, um, sorry, it's just less about the big story and more about the characters in Spire. Mm-hmm. Blades and Dark came before Spire. Yeah. yeah. Spire was inspired by Blades and Dark. And it's very similar. It's got, uh, like, you know, in darkness, all in one city sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think... Uh, also, I think one of the slides abilities, like, uh, you can always tell when someone's lying. Mm-hmm. It, it's, that's just like super cool, very flavorful. Yeah. And it's not like, uh, a lot of systems where, uh, any ability that you can get is necessarily more powerful. Mm-hmm. It's just different. Yeah, it's situational. And, and yeah. you can get any one you want. And as your character progresses, you'll unlock more, but it's, the only thing you're really deciding is in what order you're getting them. Not necessarily, uh, you know, oh, when am I getting this yeah. level 20 ability? Or even if your character dies or, mm-hmm. you know, goes to jail or whatever, you can always, like, play another character with different abilities, a part of that crew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one mechanical thing that I did want to mention is just that there are different types of roles that you have to make. Like, there's the main one, which is the action role that is when you're actually in the mission. Those are the main sorts of roles you're doing to deal with any sort of challenges. Most of the time, this is what you're rolling. Mm -hmm. You roll. If you succeed, you make progress. If you fail, you don't make progress or maybe negative progress. And then there's consequences based on what you roll. There's also um, resistance roles, which are kind of tied in with the action roles. It's if you want to mitigate something like you're like, oh, well, I don't really like the outcome that that, you know, that action role had. 
and I kind of want to... I don't want to suffer that as much, then you can make a resistance yeah, roll. Yeah, like, if the guard stabs you through the chest mm. as the consequence for your roll, uh, <laughs> you can say, no, GM, I don't want to be stabbed through the yeah. chest. That sounds like a bad time. So yeah. instead of, you're now bleeding out, you can instead roll a resistance roll. Yeah. Uh, and you roll your dice based on uh, your stats in the relevant skill. Mm-hmm. You roll... On your highest D6, that's how much stress you take off from 6. So whenever you're resisting something, it's you're taking 6 stress. And then you roll to reduce that by uh, whatever your highest number on. Another one of the rolls... Oh, sorry. Yeah, and I was going to say, the, the, the point is, like, it's driving you closer and closer to filling out your stress bar. Because when your stress bar fills out, it's your base, the character is out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's not necessarily dead. Not dead. Is out. Is out. Mm-hmm. They they can no longer do things in the yeah. situation. Yeah, and we and you can flavor that however you want. Yeah, uh, and so you know that's why abilities cost stress, and that's why like to resist big consequences, yeah. you're taking stress. That's your main resource. Yes, yeah. yeah. everything costs do. stress. Yeah, yeah, everything um, stresses you out. <laughs> yeah, just like real life. Not much of a, not much of a I was escape just... from reality there. <laughs> Uh, there's <laughs> downtime rolls, which are, that, this is kind of the reason why I'm like, oh, yeah, it would have been nice to explore those a little more, and, like, in a, you know, longer campaign, obviously, mm-hmm. you would. Downtime rolls are pretty much what you expect them to be, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, you, you are rolling to progress on, like, long-term projects and relationships, uh, and the characters can do a ton of different things on downtime, and train, and, like, get better, and gain resources for future heists. Yeah. Um, Either for themselves or for the gang. Or for the crew, yeah. Yeah, the crew, sorry. Yeah. You can you get a certain like number of down, downtime actions you could take, uh, and then you can pay gold mm-hmm. to to get more. Yeah. You know, money buys time. Yeah. Yeah. And then the And then the last one's a fortune roll. Yeah. And that's more it's like whatever the wind may That yeah. one I don't understand as much as the other rolls. It it's mostly just if there is chance involved, but there is not necessarily consequence involved, yeah. it's it's basically the GM saying, like, uh, I'm not how, sure. Roll some dice for me. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's some, like how something lucky out of your hands, right? Yeah. Okay. yeah. It's like pressing I'm feeling lucky on the Google search bar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, yeah it's, it's very much like whenever there's something outside of your, your crew's... Control. Control. Like, there's it's no just, skill involved. It's just, like, a happenstance. Yeah. It, it, it's something else happening okay. that you can't really affect. And, like, oh, yeah, you know, you'd prefer this gang to win out in this gang fight, but you can't affect it. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll make a fortune roll to see, like, what, how the, you know. Winds may blow. Exactly. Thank you. I was trying to think of that earlier. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, that's for... Mechanics. That's a lot of the mechanics. You know. That's all the mechanics, all the setting. <laughs> that's not nearly all the mechanics. Okay, it's, or nearly that's all as the much mechanics. as we want to talk about right that's now. That's all we're going to talk about. That's all, that's all that we feel like that the, you, the audience, can use to form a bit of an opinion about whether you want to play this or not, whether you want to try this or not. Yeah. Uh, I personally do think this uh, game is worth trying. I, I, I like it, and even if you don't play it long term, even if you play it, you know, just once as a one shot, or you play just a handful of times, mm-hmm. I feel like there's things from this game that help in other role playing games, like that that pushing the players to be more of the narrative driving mm-hmm. force kind of thing, the GM being more reactive. I think being playing a game of this type just helps with other games. It yeah. mm-hmm. it makes other games more fun. Yeah, I think, like, everybody should try it, and it'll give you a new perspective on what a story, like, a tabletop role-playing game can be, right? Yeah. Yeah. I also think that this is, like, I said it's perfect for one-shots. While we were talking, I thought of, like, something better than one-shots. This is the perfect game to play when your games go on hiatus. Like, you know, if it's, like, if one person can't make a session, instead mm-hmm. of canceling, maybe you just run Blades in the Dark instead, and that is the, your hiatus game. Whenever something's on uh, on break, or maybe not all the players can make it, 
the rest of the players play Blades in the Dark, and it doesn't matter, you know, because players can come in and out. Yeah. You can run, like, it's one job. Yeah, it's the same crew across yeah. everything. It's just, you you know, make a character real quick. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, it would also be a interesting game for rotating DMs. Yeah. Like, true. Because if everyone has a player, and it's like, yeah, who's, who's running, who has an idea for what's happening, and there's just, like, a fairly well-established, here's the relationships, here's... Like, the world doesn't really change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just going from there. It's also, I think, really nice for a West Marches style campaign. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just, hey, if you got a rotating cast of players, do what you want. Like, yeah. people can come in and out. You don't need everyone for every heist. Yeah. Any other thoughts on Blaze in the Dark? Yeah, so I think, um, I think we'd all just say, you know, Ennis, you said you liked it, you'd recommend it. I think, mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I, in, in agreement, I think we all are. I don't want to speak for everyone here, but yeah. is that true? Solid five out of seven. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect score. Yeah. I I think it is one of the best games for new players. Like, yeah. in terms of getting people introduced to what a tabletop role-playing game is, like, this is your second tabletop role-playing game. I think that's... That's ideal. Yeah, that's I, like I really you go D and D into this. Yeah, D and D then Blades in the Dark. Yeah, it, it, I exactly what Ennis said. It gives you that perspective on more of like the storytelling aspect of yeah. the games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes mm-hmm. you more flexible as a player. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also think it's a really nice book to own as a GM because as you're reading through, it is basically just plot hooks. Like <laughs> the whole book is just vague enough in every detail to spark your imagination and be like, oh, they could be doing this. And there's literally giant tables where it's like, if you don't know what to do, what type of crew are they? Mm-hmm. All right, here's what they're doing. Uh, here's the job. Here's who's, you know, interrupting them. Yeah. And here's, here's who's upset. Here's <laughs> who likes this. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's great. It's just a million plot hooks in a book. And you can use that for so many things. So yeah, I, I would say like after kind of having this discussion and playing the game, I think this is probably one of the best, if not the best game that I know of to just steal stuff from. Like either yeah. mechanics or plot hooks or, mm-hmm. you know, clocks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can't mention clocks here. It, it has a lot of good ideas in yeah. it. There are a few things that I feel like, you know, the game isn't perfect, you know, nothing in the world is. So there are a few things. Uh, Santi, you had mentioned earlier about how tied to the setting. Oh, uh, yeah. That, like, things like classes and me- some mechanics are. Uh, yeah, uh, the classes, the crews are very, very tied to the setting. You could, in theory, take this system and homebrew your own stuff if you wanted to, and people have, and, and it's called its own thing. Yeah, it's but- a- bad system of homebrew i yeah of all the systems this is the one that i i just wouldn't even try to homebrew because it is so delicately balanced Mm -hmm. and it like everything like you're saying it's so intrinsically deeply tied to that flavor yeah you would have to play so much blades in the dark to get something that feels right Mm yeah so no homebrew yeah. For you. No homebrew for you. If you're playing Blades of the Dark, you just just play it the way it is. Just anyway, yeah, 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 play it the way it is. Enjoy it. You can steal concepts and ideas from it. Uh, for other stuff, yeah. But yeah, I think, uh, I, yeah, I agree. A good yeah. second game to play. Yeah. Good intro. I, I wouldn't make it your main game, yeah. but as, as just a side every once in a while, mm-hmm. we're going to bring the crew back it's together. Side piece. Yeah. The uh, campaign, yeah. <laughs> 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 to, to be fair, that description, we're bringing back the crew together. <laughs> Literally, so blades in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> Anything interesting from the one shots we want to bring up? <sighs> There's so much I think, stuff. I think, I think we kind of mentioned anything that we. Uh, I feel like we missed one thing, one very important thing. <laughs> if you're hearing this, <laughs> <laughs> the fucking recordings that uh, we Hamish had, Knave. Yeah, Hamish Knave left for his. This, this has been ex professor Hamish Knave. Yes. Yeah, so, so the context for that is. We were in the sewers being chased by one of the character's rivals, and we had set up basically an IED to go off in, like, a trap, and 
one of the, like, Hamish Nave, the character, had a recording afterwards. It's like, you might be wondering who had set this trap up. And it's really funny because that first trap worked really well, killed that character, but he kept setting traps like further along with these recordings and they got more and more ridiculous. assuming that that rival was still alive yeah and, and pursuing them. us yeah it I, was really I, I also like the concept in Blazing the Dark where eventually your characters will die they will meet awful ends yeah eventually uh, like yeah that's kind of what the game tries to drive towards pretty morbid of you but okay <laughs> I mean that's the setting <laughs> uh, Chris did a cool thing where at the end he narrated it for us like the 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 bad end that everyone meets, you know, far in the future. And Hamish Naves is, uh, uh, he gets killed, he gets incriminated and then killed because of all his recordings, but they don't quite work out the way that, uh, that the prosecution wants because the jury's like, I mean, it can't be him. He wouldn't leave such obvious evidence. Yeah. <laughs> he this wouldn't is clearly someone trying to frame him, yeah, right? He wouldn't say his own name every time. <laughs> this is ex-professor. He wouldn't say ex-professor. <laughs> okay, this is Nobody's proud of that title. Has a vendetta against him. <laughs> but they were all him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will make a slight correction. I believe in that circumstance, we were given bad endings because we ended off that mission with unleashing a devilish goat monster, and we were in general bad straits. The game itself is is one where you, as a person and a crew, uh, accrue uh, money, resources, coin yeah. is that what it's called in the in the game. And then, well, I think like in a normal campaign, definitely. I think for our one shot, we were just like, yeah, we'll have well, a fun. That, that's what I'm saying. In a normal yeah. campaign, you accrue yeah, yeah. coin, and however much you've set aside and not used for leveling up or buying services or stuff like that is how much you retire on and there's a chart in the book that says hey you saved 10 coin this is the retirement you get once you retire and in my experience most people that have retired retire with like one or two and it says destitute you're in a gutter like this is like terrible i mean you gotta spend money to make money <laughs> yeah yeah and then uh, you become not useful to the crew and end up in a gutter because you didn't set anything apart from retirement so. yay. yay yay there's no pension Okay, well, that's... <laughs> and that's a soundbite. Yeah, that's that's uh, yeah, that's the end of our uh, podcast. It's so great uh, being able to talk about this. It was very fun playing. Uh, we recommend it. Um, as always, I have been Caleb. I'm Christian. I'm Enes Santiago. Mijo and abuela. That's who. Santiago. No, no, no. Mijo and abuela. No. 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 no.